This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 587. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Bill Kofed of OneStream Software. Now, as our listeners know well, we've been kicking off recent episodes with updates from different CFOs regarding the pandemic and COVID-19 and how they're preparing and managing their businesses through this period of so many unknowns. We had recorded our episode with Bill Kofed back in late February, so we wanted to catch up with Bill again. And what we've done is we've asked Bill for an update regarding the pandemic, and we're going to share that here with you up front and then back in to our earlier recorded episode. So this will be Bill responding to my questions, and I think I've already asked him, how are you managing COVID? And I'm following up with a number of other questions. What are you planning? What's happening? Are you modeling? And, and here's what he shared. This is this is Bill Kofed, CFO of OneStream. We'll come back after these comments, and we'll give Bill a proper uh, introduction into the regular episode. But we know you wanted to have this content first. So here's CFO Bill Kofed of OneStream.
We'll be right back. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hi, it's Jack. As I mentioned, we're pleased to feature CFO Bill Kofet of OneStream Software on today's episode. As this show reveals every episode, there's no one path to the CFO office. However, the path that Bill Kofet blazed would be difficult to replicate, even a, even a third of it perhaps. Bill was once a partner at BCG. He was CFO of their digital ventures group. And oh yeah, by the way, he was... Uh, head of uh, Microsoft Investor Relations, and he was director of strategy and planning for HP's customer operations. At one time, director of strategy and planning at HP. And oh yeah, he began uh, inside Arthur Anderson, like perhaps that might be the one credit he has in common with all so many others. Anyway, there's no one path to the CFO office. Bill Kofet's career makes that all so clear. We begin now. We're speaking with Bill Kofet, CFO of OneStream Software. Bill, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Bill, we're going to begin where we always do, which is to ask you to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Great. Yeah, I, I really had three different phases of my career. You know, obviously the first, as with many CFOs, is I started my career in public accounting uh, with Arthur Anderson and, and uh, you know, got a good baseline of experiences um, on the public accounting side. Uh, but after a few years, I decided I really wanted to, you know, be in a role where I was, you know, forward-looking and and, uh, you know, looking at um, helping to fix the business. And this was in the time of Michael Hammer's reengineering the corporation and, and uh, you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of opportunities around that. So I went into consulting, uh, went back and got my MBA and, and uh, did consulting. And I spent nine years uh, working with a lot of different companies on, you know, things like reengineering. Um, I worked on some um, – some spin IPOs like the Palm, uh, for those of you who remember Palm, uh, the Palm spin and IPO out of 3Com and, and then some mergers and acquisitions work with things like HP and Compaq. 
and and so then from there, I, I ended up, you know, obviously going into industry and spent time and you know in a lot of um, more uh, beginning on the FP&A side, where uh, where I was at HP, and then moved into um, had a really great opportunity to move into the investor relations role at Microsoft, which was you know really a, a once in a lifetime opportunity that I uh, you know, I look back on as obviously being part of, you know, the world's largest software company, um, which then having an investor relations, um, having that investor relations experience then gave me the opportunity, obviously, to be in a role where I could, uh, like the one that I'm in now, where, where hopefully we're going to be taking this company public. Okay, very interesting. There is one other, I guess, milestone uh, that I saw in your bio, which I thought was kind of interesting, and I'm and it happened after Microsoft. You were you became a partner at BCG for a tour of duty there as CFO of uh, their digital ventures. I, I'm wondering why you went that path. It's not a public company. Characterize it for us. What was what did it mean to you at the time? Yeah, what was really fun about that job was, um, and the reason why I went there was um, within BCG this um, digital ventures group was all about creating startups as part of the big companies that, um, that BCG obviously serves. So we basically went into these, to, you know, with these companies to help them create growth and really incubate businesses um, that, that then could be either, uh, you know, absorbed back into the main, you know, kind of call it a Fortune 500 company or it could be spun out into a separate, a separate type of a joint venture at, or, and or consortium in some cases. Um, I think while I was there for those couple of years, I think we, we you know, kind of birthed, shall we say, um, over 60 different companies. And it was really quite a, a talented team of, you know, this wasn't the kind of traditional strategic consulting uh, uh, piece of BCG. It was more the developers and designers and engineers and the like that you would, you know, that you typically see in a tech company. So that, that was what was interesting about that job for me. And, and actually, I really had a great time. Just one chapter, uh, and then we'll move on, uh, just from your Microsoft years. And I know at, uh, also at one point in time you were CFO sort of of the Skype division. And I want to ask, they acquired Skype around the time you were there. Were you involved in that, or did you uh, uh, get that assignment post-acquisition uh, and what have you? Yeah, so I really went in to do the post-merger integration work um, after Microsoft bought Skype. So, um, you know, obviously that's always tough. Skype had a, you know, had quite an iconic culture. Uh, you know, the passion for the customer at Skype was really quite, um, quite awesome. Obviously, Skype was a was an iconic brand and an iconic experience for 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 consumers. But um, you know, so so we went in there, obviously being kind of part of big Microsoft, and you know, we didn't want to. We didn't want we, we want to take all the good things of Skype and we didn't want to you know ruin those but we obviously wanted to integrate it into Microsoft um, and we actually in some ways took um, took some capabilities from Microsoft and then brought it down into the Skype org and and kind of call it reverse merged it into that but uh, you know Skype was that that experience was fantastic and and one that I look back back on with fond memories as uh, you know, it's just a great product and great culture. 
Well, we'll likely have one or two more career-related uh, questions for you a little later in the mentoring round. But right now, let's find out about OneStream Software. Tell us about this business and what sets it apart today uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, what's really exciting about OneStream is it's software for the CFO. So as I um, as I got a call uh, from from the recruiter to uh, you know to come join this company, the more that I the, the more that I pulled the covers back, the more that I liked about it. It's really a, a, a company that was born out of, you know, a lot of folks who had deep experience with Hyperion, which, as, as many know, is, was, you know, really the standard for, uh, you know, consolidation, reporting, planning, and analysis for the biggest companies in the world for a long time. It was obviously acquired by, you know, by a large software company in the Bay Area, and we've really built a modern version, cloud-based, you know, next uh, next generation product that allows the finance organization to, to do all that in a really modern and, and cloud-based way. Uh, you know, the team here is, is fantastic. We're obviously based here in, in, in Rochester, Michigan, which is, you know, not not the Bay Area, but uh, but obviously quite uh, quite you know there's quite good universities here, uh, and quite the talented team to, uh, to you know to build upon. It's you know we don't actually have the same competitive dynamics that the Bay Area has, which is which is a really big advantage for us. And uh, you know the company grew. I think we announced that we did over 130 million dollars in in uh, 2019. We grew over 50 percent, and we really feel like we're well positioned to be just a you know a really great uh, solution for for finance organizations, and obviously uh, you know have aspirations to continue to grow the business at a pretty rapid pace. Now let's just return, and I know you haven't been there very long, but uh, your arrival. Let's just focus on that for a moment. Is there something? That you, uh, as you entered, okay, here's how I'd like to do things a little differently. Did you reorganize some piece of the function? Did you, did you find a, a particular, uh, you know, piece of expert or talent uh, to add to your team? Or what, what did you uh, do upon your arrival? Well, um, actually, one advantage of having many jobs over, over the past, you know, decade, shall we say, is, is that, you know, I've gone into a lot of different companies and you learn what to do and you learn what you, you get that experience pretty quickly. So um, here we actually didn't have, you know, while we had done a lot of work around product and, and sales team, we didn't have a lot of, of infrastructure around GNA. For example, we didn't have a FP&A team. We had zero people on the FP&A team. Uh, I didn't have a controller. Uh, we were running on QuickBooks. Uh, you know, uh, we, don't, we don't have a GC, uh, we, you know, we don't have a CHR. There's just a lot of, a, a lot of building on the GNA side that we've, uh, that we've been able to do. And so one of the first things that I did to answer your question was, you know, I hired, I hired a head of FP&A, um, I've, you know, who's now, you know, starting to build his team. I've hired a controller, uh, and she starts in a week and a half. Uh, and and you know starting to really build on that team, we are doing a we are doing a a software <laughs> upgrade. Uh, you know we are looking at uh, you know uh, updating our talent all across the uh, or not really updating, but really just building a team from scratch, which is really fun. And and again, another one of the fun things is actually from a metrics perspective. Often as a CFO, you kind of go in an organization and they have 
some set of metrics that they've been that, you know that they've been operating against. Here, uh, again, this company's really really been born from scratch. It was an opportunity for me to really build out a, an OKR process or objectives and key results uh, and drive operational processes that have never been in place. And doing that from scratch has also been like super fun for me. Uh, and um, just really great opportunity to be to be part of a building effort that uh, that that's really special and unique. Now, we got to believe you are formulating dashboards. You are zeroing in on those metrics that matter. What give us a sense of what you're up to? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, we we started that. You know, that's that's what I what I frame as the objectives and the key results. And so you it, you know, in in, in um, as part of our process, we've kind of established like what are the kind of level one metrics that we report to the board. What are the level two metrics that that we use as an operating, you know, as an operating group among the executive teams, and then driving that down to the departmental level? We've come up with over 250 different metrics, and 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 where they actually get. Um, and look, they're not, you know, it's not metrics that other people haven't, <laughs> you know, haven't ever envisioned. Uh, but but for us, it's really about driving what are those objectives. What are the key, you know, what are the key performance indicators that we're going to use to determine whether we're on the right track or the wrong track? Um, obviously, OneStream, the software actually enables a dashboard or, or has the dashboard as, as part of our product. And so, pulling all those metrics and then being able to display those on OneStream, you, you know, using our own software or eating our own dog food, uh, is, is actually absolutely something that we're uh, that we're in process of doing. Now, I'm curious what, what your team would tell us about Bill and the dashboard. If there's one number that Bill has done everything to get us focused on, this is it. Or In order to make a, a certain metric more top of mind, we're going to begin talking about it more regularly. We're going to make it the first item of every meeting. Or, or Is there anything like that uh, in terms of your approach? Well, the, the, you know, the, the thing about a software company that's unique is um, as, as, you know, folks see in the marketplace, you know, it's all about growth and it's all about efficient growth. So there's a, there's a metric called, you know, LTV to CAC or lifetime value over customer acquisition costs. And so for us, we, you know, we have, OneStream's actually never lost a customer other than to, you know, to bankruptcy or, or to mergers and acquisitions. We have a really deep commitment to making sure that every one of our customers is, is successful, and as a result, that manifests itself in you know in our customers having a, a long lifetime value for us. Um, and and so as a result, you know what we found is that you know we've been very efficient. The company's been very profitable over the past eight years, but you know but you could actually spend more money on on your customer acquisition costs. Uh, to grow faster even than you have been because your lifetime value of a customer is so um, is so strong. And so one of the things that we've really been driving or, or that I've really been driving is, you know, let's spend more money, let's grow the team faster so that uh, – and candidly, we, we have the best LTV to CAC metric of any software company that's actually public today um, – you know that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, it means that we can invest a lot more money in, in um, you know, in our sales and marketing functions to to grow faster and to and, and even still be quite efficient. Well, with that uh, focus on the customer, 
Have you uh, begun to uh, measure customer behaviors more closely? And, again, this is a common conversation we're having with a lot of finance leaders, particularly in the SaaS space, who seem to be, uh, you know, measuring customer engagement in all sorts of ways. Um, And you've mentioned lifetime customer value and what have you. But I'm wondering if, as you observe the customer, as you seek to understand sort of the the funnel, the pipeline, what have you, have you yourself said, hey, we, we need to begin to understand those touch points where our customers engage with us and how to measure them? Uh, or, you know, is that part of the conversation? Well, you know, I mean, there, uh, the question you ask has, you know, several different dimensions. And so let me hit on, let me hit on a couple of them. One is, um, you know, w- when we, uh, when this company started, you know, we, we've been able, obviously, at the beginning to hire some super talented salespeople that have experience in, you know, in the space, and they've been extremely efficient. And so one of the things that we look at is ramp time. Like, how long does it take a sales, a sales rep to get productive, um, you know, and, and be, uh, you know, to be out there in the marketplace and, and uh, you know, be driving kind of call up peak revenue, shall we say. Um and uh, and so obviously the first people that we hired were you know really they ramped really quickly. Um, obviously, so we've been hiring our sales team. We're at like 200 people now. Then that numbers you know that numbers changed over time. Um, and so one of the things that I look at in, in terms of the metrics is kind of sales productivity. And we we actually just hired a a new sales operations guy that that um, you know is really helping us to try to figure out to call it sales enablement. That's really helping to get our salespeople more productive more quickly. And so um, so that, that that's absolutely one of the key metrics. You know, of course, we look at things like how long is a customer in the pipeline and, and the likes. Um, you know, fr- from, from that perspective, we find, you know, obviously big, bigger deals take longer. Uh, but the other thing is actually um, the more familiar somebody is with the company, that, you know, the more, the more able they are to – to make, you know, kind of decisions, um, you know, to move off, you know, in most cases, move off of Hyperion um, over to us. And so, um, you know, a lot of the work that we're trying to do is just create more awareness for the company about the company because a lot of what we've done is, has just been, you know, under the radar. And uh, so I think you'll see some of that in 2020 of, of just kind of creating creating more awareness and more opportunities to have customers understand uh, OneStream. Well, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. The sales productivity uh, discussion is one we've been touching on uh, fairly recently, but frequently. The, the higher you described, I, I have to believe that that's someone you, you will get to know. That is someone your finance team will get to know um, as they look to better understand how to measure productivity uh, because maybe there are some myths out there that uh, – uh, and uh, as you get closer to it, you realize there are other, other better ways to measure it. Am, what I am describing, is that – is there any truth to it or no? Would you, would you characterize it differently? I'd agree with you 100%. Like I kind of see them as a, as an extended member of the FP&A family, and uh, and you know I I've that, literally that person started I don't know a few a few weeks ago, and if not a couple weeks ago, and and uh, yeah no I'm I'm really excited to have them on board, and we're gonna work we're gonna work together. You know he's almost like uh, that's a 
That's an interesting way you said it because we often talk to finance leaders like yourself about how they're embedding people in different functional areas. And more or less, this is like a salesperson who's embedded with finance in some respect. You're, I know that we're going to have a conversation just about, you know, operating stuff and the like later. I, I, I'm very much of one of, of uh, you know, everybody doesn't necessarily have to sit in finance uh, to uh, to be effective and and, you know, and if you can create great partners in other areas of the business, then then that's a really great way to to, to run the organization. This, this individual is really excited to to partner with uh, with me and my team, and and uh, I think that'll work out really well. Yeah, and I know I I think I made it sound like here look look here look how finance is asserting itself. I guess what we're trying to uh, expose is how finance is collaborating in different ways and, you know, try to figure out what's the, you know, some of the more uh, effective approaches. And as much as we've already uh, been able to discover, it's really not about the reporting lines. We really don't care who reports to who. So anytime I can reveal that, that's what I'm trying to do. But um, I think, I think you revealed it nicely by the emphasis you put on this person. So I don't have to dwell on it anymore. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. No, like, look, I, organization matters only if your processes are, are processes and, and relationships aren't. So I, I, uh, I, I, fo- I focus on those instead of on the, like, do I have to have somebody that reports to me directly? I, I, I like you, I kind of don't care. Yeah. Well, it's a cultural. Then it becomes a cultural issue, whether the organization is, the people are collaborating the way they should be. And people are being routinely encouraged to, and rewarded to collaborate. All right, we'll move on. So this is the uh, where we get to ask our finance strategic moment question. This is sort of our signature question. And, again, it's intended to allow you to pick a time in your career where you, you saw something uh, because of your unique lines of sight into the organization as a finance executive that allowed you – to uh, point uh, your team in a different direction, point the organization in a different direction, or maybe avoid a risk or whatever it may have been. What comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, look, for me, uh, one of the – I alluded to it earlier, but one of the greatest experiences that I had was running investor relations at Microsoft. Um, obviously, we were a large uh, large software company, the largest, the largest in the world, and um, and I really got to be the voice of the shareholder back to Steve you know, when Steve Ballmer was the CEO, and be the voice of the shareholder back to Steve. And and that manifested itself in many ways on you know where we should make investments. Obviously, the shareholders um, at the time uh, didn't appreciate the the investment that the company was making in areas like Bing, uh, which obviously went on to become the platform for Azure, but. Um, but one of the things that that I think specifically, uh, um, you know, I was able to, to to help provide some influence on was, you know, was our dividend policy. Um, we had been we had been doing a lot more buybacks than dividends. Uh, I think dividends maybe were cents uh, cents, not dollars at the time, and, uh, and 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 really being able to have you know sit at sit at the capital committee with Steve and Peter Klein, who was the CFO at the time, and, you know, have some of those discussions. And, and obviously over the last uh, several years uh, since we had that discussion, you've seen the company uh, increase its its dividend rate. Uh, and, I, th- you know, I think it actually has a fairly attractive one at this point. But, um, 
look, my, my, my advice is for any finance organization is, you know, get, get a shareholder perspective. You know, we are the, you know, we are the voice of the shareholder um, and make sure that we're, um, you know, that we're obviously not just, just thinking about the business internally, but thinking about it from an external end perspective as well, particularly for those that are in public companies. Okay, when we return, Bill Kofed will be entering the mentoring round with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with CFO Bill Kofed, and we're entering the mentoring round. Bill, we begin with a big question, which is just to ask, what is it that's exciting you today about finance and business? You know, I um, I, I think that, that, you know, the finance organization or the CFO role has really evolved from one that's being – um, a reporter to one that's really being a strategist, and you know, as, as you think about, um, as you think, even if you think about software today uh, and software tools, you know, uh, part of the feedback that that I think the the CFO can deliver is how do you help the organization look around corners? How do you be the one that's kind of anticipating the changing strategic landscape, the changing uh, you know, regulatory landscape, technology landscape, all those things, I think the CFO is well positioned. And whether they have the skills to do that or they bring in others to help to help create a dialogue around that, it's how do you be uh, forward-looking and anticipatory. And I think the CFO, at least in my experience, I think the CFO is being looked to, to have that role today more than ever. Um, and that obviously requires a different set of skills. I think, you know, as you, as you look at CFOs, I think – you know, it's not always the uh, folks that have accounting uh, backgrounds. You know, sometimes it's, you know, more consulting or banking or, or, or the like. But having, you know, having that strategic mindset to, you know, to help sit alongside the, CF, the CEO uh, and other members of the management team and, and have that strong perspective and voice at the table is something that I think is as exciting today as, as, as it's ever been. So uh, to look back in time again for us, uh, you, again, you, you were general manager of investor relations at Microsoft. You ran investor relations for Microsoft. You were a CFO of one of their divisions. You leave and you become a CFO of a, of a standalone company, all your own. And uh, this is where we like for you to look back and think about when you stepped into that office for the first time. And uh, you were it in the C-suite for finance. Um, uh, what what piece of advice would you go back and give yourself? You know, um, I'm, I, I'm actually going to recite some advice somebody else gave me because I actually did take the opportunity and and uh, go seek advice from some others that had been uh, 
that had been, you know, in the space. And one of the people that I called was the was the person who was the CFO at Splunk at the time. And his advice was, uh, you know, hire a great head of FP&A and and uh, and um, have that person be somebody that you can do no look passes with. And so, you know, to use a sports metaphor, whether it's soccer or football or whatever, it's just, you know, being able to, you know, uh, be, be, be able to toss the ball and know that you're going to have, you know, someone or a team that's going to be able to, you know, to, to anticipate that and be in a position where you can, uh, where you can basically be fluid and, um, and effective as, as that team. I mean, Look, I love my accounting organization. I love the other parts of the organization, but I spend more time with my FP&A team uh, in a way that uh, you know that 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 they're you know they're they're all involved in the business. They're the ones who are helping me think through that, look around corners, and and uh, and that advice for me was invaluable. Um, it took me a long time in that first job to find. Uh, to find the head of FPNA, I was, you know, I was lucky. I hired a really great one, uh, who's actually now a CFO himself. Uh, but uh, you know, and and at even at Blue Nile, I had a really great uh, leader of FPNA, and she's going to go on and have a have a great CFO career as well. And and obviously, I've been I've been fortunate here. But th- that that's a role that I think as a CFO, especially as I've talked about, as I talked earlier about how I saw the finance role evolving. Uh, from being a reporter to being forward-looking, the, the FP&A team is really the one that, that um, I think is charged with, with helping you look forward. Now we ask you to, uh, uh, for a little personal reflection, uh, uh, more on the personal side, is there a habit or something that you established along the way, part of your daily routine maybe, that you believe has in some way contributed to your professional success, kept you on an even keel, whatever it may be? Is there a habit or something that you do? that you think in some way has helped you professionally? Yeah, th- th- this, this comment will be a little controversial. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's actually one, I think, I think Satya Nadella, who's the current, the current CEO at, at, uh, at Microsoft actually coined. So I hadn't thought about it, but you know, you talk about work-life, personal life balance and Satya said you should have personal work-life harmony and um, and I think that actually is really a a a, 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 a good reflection a good reflection of my uh, uh, of my career. Um, I uh, you know I love the work that I do and and I I you know I work you know I work a lot, but I also like when I'm you know when I'm with my wife or when I'm with my family you know I'm present at the time. But then but then I will you know I will take after you know after a dinner. or or whatever that that time that we spend together, you know, often I'm kind of back on on my laptop and and uh, you know and trying to balance that. And so it's um, it's something that I've been able to do, I think, relatively successfully. Um, but I th- I like that word that Satya uses called harmony, which is um, look, it's different for different people. I tend to, like if I go on vacation, I bring my laptop. Um, for me, that works better. For other people, maybe it doesn't, but um, but I've I've tended to be one that um, that you know that doesn't shut off and can't shut off, uh, but I balance it with being present uh, when I need to be and and uh, you know on my laptop when when I have to be as well. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? 
you know, there, there's lots of good books, um, you know, that I've read. I love Reengineering the Corporation to to kind of go way back. Wow, now that's that's Champion Hammer. That's from your 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 Anderson days. I I, I know, but it's like you know, it's, it it really is relevant because it's like get rid of non-value added work. I mean, it's kind of one of those core books on how do you create efficiency in an organization. There's probably better ones uh, now today. No, but it's it's the original. It's great choice. Thank you. We're up to our final question, where I get to ask you to look forward for us and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Hey, look, I've got a dream job. Uh, I, I'm so excited about the next 12 months. Um, for us, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we're just in the process of building an organization from scratch um, and, uh, you know, hiring our controller and and having um, having her really, you know, start to build her team and getting processes and and efficiency in place is actually interesting. She, you know, even though she doesn't have software experience, she does have automotive experience. And so back to the back to our metaphor on reengineering the corporation. Like, I think I think a lot of people look and say, well, gosh, you have to have experience in this industry, otherwise, you know, your skills aren't relevant. Whereas, you know, she brings a lot of experience in process efficiency and because you kind of have to have that skill to be to be in that business, and so she's really gonna gonna be um, vital in in terms of helping us build a, an organization that can scale. Uh, again, on on the FP&A side, we we need to build out that team, um, including investor relations on that side, which um, which I've tasked them to do. Um, I mean, look, our aspiration is to be ready to go public in you know in in uh, you know sometime in 2021. So there's a lot of work to do. There's, you know, meeting with uh, with bankers, investment bankers, with other service providers that that can help us scale. And uh, I just, you know, I, I look at the next year. It's overwhelming, but really exciting. And and again, it's all about having a great team, building a great team, having fun. Uh, having fun in your job every day, which is, by the way, one of the things that I would recommend uh, for everybody. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's easy to say, but, you know, life's too short. Have fun in your job. And, uh, um, and if you're not, then, <laughs> then kind of reevaluate the job that you're doing or, or go get a new one. It, it, it really is the difference, I think, between success and failure in life is, uh, you know, whether you're having fun or not. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. 
Thank you for listening.